Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. And coming up on November 30th at 6.30 p.m., we have an Advent family experience. Families will walk through different stations and activities here at the church to intentionally step into the Advent season. And this really is a fantastic event, and I know my family's very much looking forward to it. This week, we celebrated Christ the King weekend and how we do that at Southview is by holding our annual missions weekend. We celebrate Christ on the throne and what that means for the good news that we carry in our communities. And for this week specifically, we highlight people who are sharing that gospel with people in various places around the world. As a part of our teaching, Clyde Glass will be interviewing two international workers from our community, Ian and Rebecca. The best way to know about what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, then we would love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form, so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends. So glad we can be joining here and online on this Global Missions Weekend. And as has been said already, we know that missions needs to happen in our own neighborhoods, our own city, our own country, without question. Uh, But this weekend, each year, is when we focus on God's call on each of us and on us as a local church to be part of reaching out to other nations, to other people groups around the globe, with the good news of Christ. So on this missions weekend, we're going to really turn back in our study in the book of Revelation to one of the letters to the seven churches that we've not yet studied. And and just to remind us, John wrote this book of Revelation prompted by a vision given to him by Jesus to seven churches who were struggling to follow Christ in ancient Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. Here's our map again just to orient us around that scene and those seven churches out in western present-day Turkey. Now, most of these seven churches received words of rebuke from Jesus, either because of their spiritual complacency or their unfaithfulness to Christ. Only two churches received only words of commendation and encouragement from Jesus. The church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. And so listen to what Jesus says to the Philadelphian church when Revelation chapter 3, and as you hear this, remember, this is a word of God. In verse 7, and Jesus said to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One. The true one, one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. 
I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Then verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have in Christ so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Now, there are two images that I really want to focus in on in this passage, really kind of as a short lead-in to interviewing two special guests with us today who are living this out. So, two images. And the first one here is when Jesus says, the one who conquers, the one who holds fast to Christ, verse 12, I will make him or her a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar. So, what's that mean? Well, you might not pick it up at first reading, but Jesus is using earthquake imagery here. Because the city of ancient Philadelphia had experienced really a crushing earthquake about 40 or 50 years before John wrote this letter. And with the earthquake, most of the city was destroyed, including the pillars of the temples to all the other pagan gods that were there in Philadelphia as those pillars shook and collapsed. And so now Jesus says to this little poor community of Christ followers, which likely only numbered about two or three dozen people at this point, that they in Christ would be pillars in their city that would not be shaken. Why? What makes this church especially worthy of Christ's blessing here? In part because it's that they have little power, meaning they weren't large. They were seemingly insignificant. They had really little apparent influence. They were even impoverished financially. Now, it's kind of interesting, maybe even a bit surprising perhaps, that Jesus says they have little strength. He says it in verse 8 again, I know your works, I know that you have but little power. Now, in the original Greek, that essentially means, I realize you're a meager group. You're meager. You don't have a lot of influence, you don't have a lot of numbers, and bad to that, you're poor. As a Bible scholar, Dr. Joseph Mangina notes, it is striking that the two churches in Revelation about which Jesus only has good things to say, Smyrna and Philadelphia, were both marked by this virtue of poverty. Because poverty and the keeping of Christ's name, and the courageous confession of his word often belong together. Because really, the larger and wealthier church often has far too much to lose, humanly speaking. Therefore, they too easily will tend to kind of shy away from the risk involved in confessing Jesus boldly. Because it feels pretty good the way things are. And that's why Jesus said, listen to what he said to the church in Corinth. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in what? In weakness. And so Paul then says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, 
so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now we read all that, and, and just so we're clear, compared to the church in Philadelphia, we, along with just about every other church in our city, would be a larger, a wealthier church, which should really prompt us to be considering, reflecting, okay, is our size or our comparative wealth or our sense of self-sufficiency, are, are those hindering us in any way from proclaiming Christ as we should to the nations? Which leads to the second key image in this letter to Philadelphia. And it's the image of the open door. Verse 8 in chapter 3. Jesus said, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Jesus says, my church, I have set an open door before you. So what's the open door? Really, we ask, an open door to what? Well, there are two ways of understanding that term open door here. One of the ways is what really Jesus speaks of in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 13, verse 23, we read this. And Jesus said to them, strive to enter my kingdom, is what he's talking about, through the narrow door. Okay, so one way to understand this open door back in Revelation 3 is in the sense that the church in Philadelphia, like us, has an open door to being a part of God's kingdom of being part of this life to come in God's presence through faith in Jesus. So church, it is saying you are going through poverty and opposition in your lives, but be encouraged. The door is open to you to this new life in Jesus and to God's presence. Praise God. So that's one way to understand this open door as it's written here. But there's a second way that the open door can be understood here. And it's really what the Apostle Paul refers to often in his letters. I want you to hear this, so let me read three examples. First, this is from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in verse 8, we read this. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, Paul writes, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Okay, then flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. Okay, last one. Listen, this is from Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a, to us a door for what? For the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Okay, so really, the second meaning of this open door in Revelation 3 is that the church, God's people, now including us, has an open door to ministry and missionary kingdom activity in their own city and to all nations and peoples. So Jesus tells this church, the reason that I've opened that door to fruitful kingdom and ministry activity is because you have been patiently faithful even in your poverty. Look at what he says in verse 8, back in Revelation 3. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Then verse 10, you've kept my word about 
patient endurance. They have endured patiently. Now, as Tim Keller notes, this is the irony here. Because Jesus is essentially saying here that the way they handled the closed doors in their lives has opened other doors. Now, for the Philadelphians, we don't know exactly what they patiently endured. But what we can recognize is that when they encountered closed doors in their lives, maybe it was closed doors of career advancement, or closed doors of health, or closed doors of relationship, or closed doors of financial stability. Even when they faced those closed doors, they still remained faithful. You know those kind of closed doors, don't you? Closed doors are the things that bring pain or suffering that hurt you. And Jesus says, because you have been so patient and faithful in handling your closed doors, I will then open other doors wide for kingdom ministry. And that's why Tychonius, he was an African early church father. In his fourth century commentary on this passage, he said this, the door is never shut to preach to the whole world. So just to personalize this, Jesus is still saying, Southview, I set before you an open door to take my good news to the world. So how do we do that to other nations? Well, for one, we as part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, we partner together to reach out to the least reached nations and people groups of the world with a message and hope of Christ. I want you to hear that. We go to the least reached nations and people groups in the world, which often means that our international workers go to some of the most challenging and dangerous places in the world. That's our focus overseas. Now, you've already heard from Matt and Connie, and we have Dave and Donna serving in Asia, and we have many others. In fact, together, we, the Alliance Churches of Canada, have over 250 international workers serving in other nations to express and declare the good news. And along with others, like Matt and Marie, who are serving with other ministries overseas. And it could be that some of you today will have your heart stirred by God to go through an open door to another nation and to let others know and see about this king. It could be that God will stir or prompt you to go. Now, I am so thankful that along with hearing from our friends by video as we did, we have two of our international workers, Ian and Rebecca, with us today. Now, we don't use their last name or mention their specific country for security reasons, both for them and for those they're serving and ministering to. So before they join me up here, watch this video explaining their work. Look, I will do a new thing. It springs forth now. Do you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isaiah forty three nineteen. 
For the last three years, we've called a small city in North Africa home. A country primarily known for its desert lands, we live in the Delta region, the breadbasket of the country, where the majority of the nation's food is grown. Despite the greenery around us, the spiritual climate is dry, dark, and barren. We serve at a small hospital. In our city of 300,000, our hospital is only one of three buildings that bear the image of the cross. Entering our gates and seeking medical care is one of the few opportunities the beautiful people of our region have to encounter followers of Jesus and experience his love and compassion in their lives. We're Ian and Rebecca, and along with our kids, we have the privilege of joining our father in his work in North Africa. As a pediatrician, Ian spends his days caring for the sick, training up doctors and nurses to offer high-quality medical care, and has been invited to help the hospital leadership grow the hospital's capacity and focus its mission to be a beacon of hope in a dark place. While they come seeking physical help and healing, we trust that many will also receive spiritual healing. Through the generosity of Canadian churches, we were able to open a new seven-bed neonatal intensive care unit, NICU. Days after the final equipment arrived, a mother and father arrived in our emergency room. Cradled in their arms was their two-month-old son. He was gravely ill and in need of medical treatment. They'd been turned away from the government hospital as there just wasn't space available. While an NICU isn't designed for a two-month-old, this little boy was barely bigger than a newborn and was in desperate need of care. We made the decision to admit him to our NICU. The parents were encouraged by friends and family to abandon him or take him home to die. His little life just wasn't worth the expected cost. Typically, private NICUs are expensive, charging well beyond what this family could afford. But their love for their son was too great, and they were prepared to pay any price to spare his life. The young mother took her gold jewelry, a means of saving in their culture, and sold it all, ready for the hospital bill. Three days later, we discharged their son. He was on the mend and ready to go home. Presented with the bill, the family was visibly relieved when the total amount was significantly lower than they'd anticipated. Not only did they receive an affordable bill, but over the course of the three days in care, they were shown love, care, and compassion by the nurses and physicians. It was clear that we were concerned with more than just their son's illness. We also cared about them as people. We cared about their well-being. We cared about their emotions. Since then, despite living far away, they continue to return to our hospital for follow-up care, traveling past many other hospitals and clinics along the way. They come because of the trust they have in us and the love they know we have for them. Much like these parents, we know that our Father paid the ultimate price for us and for the beautiful people we serve in our community. Our desire is that these dear people would find healing, both physical and spiritual, as they encounter our Father through our hospital. We look forward to the day when we get to gather before His throne with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and trust that many of these beautiful people we work amongst will be there with us. May the words of Isaiah be manifested in our city, in our region, and in our country. May rivers of life stream through the desert. It is great to have you both here. And first question, uh, how's that two-month-old boy doing? So uh, we headed out in June, so I don't know since then, but last I saw them, the baby was doing fantastically well, growing, thriving. 
uh, no concerns. Uh, thankfully, many of the kids we see uh, and we interact with and we care for in our NICU and elsewhere um, do really well. They're very resilient, you know, no different than here. There were some heartbreaks along the way that have kind of driven us uh, to do things like uh, improve our services, develop the NICU, but uh, generally, kids have done very, very well. Uh, and so happy to know that that baby had been doing well when I last saw them. Well, that's good to hear. Now, you mentioned right at the start of Isaiah 43, where God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Uh, and we know that because of global political realities, uh, overseas work has had to change. Uh, where your vocation is used even more prominently uh, as you serve overseas. Can, can you share about how that works, what it looks like, and, and how it's going? Yeah, absolutely. So in that video, we do mention that in our city of about 300,000 people, there are only three structures that bear the image of the cross, our hospital, the church that meets on the hospital campus, uh, and then a school a little ways down the road. Uh, and so in that city, uh, if you think about Calgary, think of one quadrant of Calgary, about the same population, and think of how many Alliance churches alone you could yeah. name in one quadrant of Calgary. And that's just one denomination. Uh, and so in our city, there's very little, the city where we serve, there's very little uh, access to Jesus. There's very little opportunity to interact with a Christ follower. Uh, and even if they did want to come into a church, let's say uh, God stirred something up in their heart, they really wouldn't be able to. The government would prevent them from doing that. Uh, and so even if there are churches, uh, they are not able to enter them. But a hospital is very different. And so a Christian hospital, our hospital has been there for over 100 years uh, and has this incredible place of favor within the community. People come there, they know that the doctors care for them. They say, you know, they trust it over the government hospitals, over the other private hospitals. It really does have this place of favor. And so what we're able to do is we're able to live out our gospel. We're able to care for them, meet their physical needs, um, but then try to meet their spiritual needs as well. It's so similar to Jesus and the disciples model. Um, you know, we don't want to just preach, but we want to preach mm. and heal. We want to meet their physical needs uh, as well as their spiritual needs. Uh, and so we try to do that little by little and to create re these relationships and to be uh, the light of Christ to them. Mm. <clears throat> and I'm sure it comes as no surprise that we kind of stick out uh, in our context, especially the kids and I with our lighter hair. Um, and so our prayer sort of is that as we go about our days, people are watching us, we're a bit of a curiosity, um, but that they would see our Father's love in the way we interact with one another, the way we parent, the way we treat um, our coworkers, and just treat the people we encounter in our everyday life. Uh, we aren't able to just go out and share as freely as we would like to. Um, so yeah, we have to rely on sort of being that salt and that light, yeah. being salty. Yeah. Um, and we know that the work in this region is slow. Um, there's a statistic out there that there's something like seven years between someone meeting a Christian and all these touch points before they may make a decision of faith. Wow. And, and how open are the people there to the message of hope? So I'd say they're open, um, but it's slow work. And so they're very religious people. These are people whose religion is on display, uh, whose faith is on display. The majority, over 99%, follow the majority religion in the area, which is not Christianity. Uh, and they're also a people of prayer. And so five times a day, they get a, an audible reminder to go ahead and pray. And, you know, life will kind of grind to a halt those five times a day as they respond in prayer. But the neat thing about that is as people of prayer, they're also willing to receive prayer. 
Mm. And so in clinic and the hospital, we're able to pray for them in Jesus' name. And through that, we're able to shine a little bit of light on them. As well, they're very hospitable. And so this is a people who invite you into your home. And if we were willing and had the time every single day of the week, we could be in a home. Uh, and through there, you can have more one-on-one -on -one open conversations. And you can share stories from our good book. That's often how this is done, where we short, share little stories from mm. the good book or the Bible. Um, this isn't a place where you can pull out your Four Spiritual Laws booklet and yeah. uh, you know, run through it with every clinic patient, but through these relationships, uh, we try to share uh, our stories with them. And we trust that as they're exposed to stories from the good book and as we have discussion, uh, that many will join us someday in heaven. Mm. And as we refer to, I mean, God might be stirring the heart of some here to potentially serve overseas. Can you share about how did you each feel prompted into this kind of work? Yeah, so we have very different experiences. Rebecca grew up overseas with parents who were serving cross-culturally. Uh, and so for her, she was exposed to this from a very young age and had a very early call uh, a decisive moment where she felt called to missions and, and thought that that's what she would do for the rest of her life. Uh, but I grew up in a church in Ontario, much like you guys, exposed to missions, exposed to what God is doing in the world. Uh, and it was through a series of exposures to people, through a, sh through a series of short-term trips that I was able to take and involvement in campus ministry, that God started to move me from thinking, I can send people towards, maybe I could do short-term work. And then it was through a number of mentors and experiences in North Africa and other countries uh, where I was challenged by these mentors to consider whether God was calling me to long-term work. And so I don't know if it was that I was stubborn or slow to learn or just a progressive call, uh, but for me it happened over, you know, 20 years. Um, and early on in our time, we heard about this hospital where we now serve. Well, we were dating, actually. So nine or ten years mm -hmm. ago, we first heard about this hospital, and we heard that there, were some, there was a physician from our denomination who was going out and serving there. And so we started to think, you know, this is an area of the world we'd be interested in. This is a place where there's a medical need. Maybe this is where God is calling us. But I still had a lot of training to go yeah. before we got to that point. <laughs> um, so even at that point, then when we were interviewing to go overseas, we expressed a desire to go to this hospital that we had been praying for. And they came back to us and said, hey, how about a hospital in Central Asia? And we were like, oh, we weren't. We weren't expecting that. Um, it threw us for a bit of a loop, and we really had to pray about that, and eventually came you know, to this place of saying, hey, if God is calling us to the least reached, and these people are least reached, it may not be where we're thinking of going, but if that's what he wants us to do, that's what we'll do. Um, and it was when we then sort of released our, our plans to God that he opened the door up again to go to this mm -hmm. hospital in North Africa. So. Um, I'd say it's really just been a lot of like little steps of faith along the yeah. way, and it hasn't necessarily been linear or, mm. yeah. And it is interesting, even as you're saying, each of your journeys or prompting towards this came in a different kind of way, which don't be surprised if you feel prompted. It might look different from the way others are prompted towards this. And, and in North Africa then, uh, many challenges. What are some of the greatest challenges you walk in in this? And Veronica's five, Isaac's three. Mm -hmm. uh, so walking with them, walking in life, what are some of the challenges you face in this? Absolutely. So there are certainly lots of challenges. 
Um, I think one of the greatest is the uncertainty that we live in. Um, the way that culturally we're getting pretty good at understanding the culture, but there's still many moments where we do something or we see something and we don't understand it and we're confused. And so we've, you know, we're getting humbled in the culture as we do, do that, but there's this uncertainty. There's also an ambiguity and an uncertainty about how long the door will be open for us to be there. Mm -hmm. um, our, visa, our visa platform is a bit tenuous, and so it could be that in three years or five years or 10 years, the door closes. And so because of that, we really want to focus in on training and building into the local believers who were there long before us and will be there long after us. And so really, uh, through my medicine and through our discipleship, we want to build into the local people um, to, who continue to serve there. Hmm. And one of the other obvious challenges is it's hard to be away from our families um, and take our grand, our, not our grandchildren, our children away from their grandparents, you know, a little something about having grandchildren on the other side of the world. Um, so, I mean, we're very thankful for technology. Uh, Ian mentioned I was raised overseas, and uh, yeah, I'm just very cognizant of, it's amazing that we can video call on a whim and just feel much more connected yeah. than I did in my childhood. Um, so that's amazing. Uh, one other challenge I would say, if I reference my notes here, um, we've really had the privilege of being part of a really good uh, expat community and a hospital community, um, and that's been a real blessing. I know, though, that, uh, again, a statistic that a lot of people leave because of conflict between international workers. Um, so thankful that that hasn't been our experience thus far. But a way that you can always be praying for international workers is for unity and harmony, mm. because really, we're not just each other's co-workers. We end up being each other's friends and family as yeah. well. Yeah, and such unique challenges you walk in. And Rebecca and Ian, you put together a video about these challenges. Let's watch this video. It speaks to some of the things they walk through. Bags packed, weighed, checked in, the dread of looming goodbyes, the reality settling in as I cradle my infant son and clutch my two-year-old daughter's hand that they'll be missing quality time with their grandparents, knowing my parents will have to celebrate their grandchildren's milestones from a distance, the final separation imminent as we approach the security line. Tears are hot in my eyes. Is it worth it? I ask. I hope so. Fumbling in the dark, comforting my sick child with one arm while I dig through half-unpacked suitcases and partially organized drawers, searching for clean bedding and children's Tylenol. Our first night in our new apartment, everything is unfamiliar, chaos. My daughter's small body heaving and groaning with illness, overwhelmed. Is it worth it? Yes. Routines and rhythms are falling into place. Foreign sounds are becoming familiar with each passing language class. Letters that once meant nothing now hold meaning. Friends are being made. Relationships are deepening with our teammates. Internet is good, and those cherished video calls to family and friends make them feel closer, less like we are worlds apart. Our apartment, our life, it's beginning to feel almost like home. Is it worth it? Yes. Awakening to fists banging on our door, panicked voices filtering through. A teammate has collapsed. CPR. Desperate attempts to bring him back to life. His wife crumpled on our floor. Our two-year-old wide-eyed. With my baby in one arm, I'm caught between comforting my child and comforting my friend. I'm utterly inadequate. Is it worth it? My heart can barely form the question. Yes, my child, I am worth it. Every tearful goodbye, every hardship, disappointment, discouragement, 
will be worth it. Every lonely moment, every time you feel overwhelmed, every time you feel inadequate, ill-equipped, or in over your head, it will all be worth it because I am worth it. My child, I have called you. I am with you. I will sustain you. I am worth it. Thank, thank you for that. And you are serving now. You know you've walked through the joys, the challenges in this. Uh, and for those here that might be considering serving overseas, what words would you have for them? Well, the short answer is go. <laughs> Come join us. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a wild ride. It's challenging for sure. Um, but it, it's good, and God is so faithful. Um, so yeah, take that first small step of faith. Um, you might be thinking, I didn't go to Bible school. I don't have a theology degree. Neither do we. Um, it, we really have moved more to a model of taking our vocations overseas, whether that's business or medicine or education or art. Um, you wouldn't believe the things that international workers are doing around the world today. So um, no matter what your background is, there's probably a place for you. Um, if you have questions about what next steps could look like, Jaron Thomas is here this weekend. Uh, he will be out in the Cardo. He's at the big banner that says Rekindle. Um, so he's a great resource to go talk to about what next steps could be. Um, or come visit us, come talk to us. And I would say another thing you can do is that Jaron has some books there, and there are books that Rebecca's father actually put together. But these are stories of alliance work over the last number of decades. And these are stories of those who've gone before. There's a bunch of books that have stories about the work that God has done through the Alliance. And so those I would highly recommend uh, you take a look at those. Uh, there are QR codes to get free books that you can download and, and read on your tablet. So I would rec recommend that you do that if you're considering um, how might we do that. And, and for you guys heading back there, can you just mention about time frame for that? And also for those here that want to support you, uh, what steps could they take in doing that? Absolutely. And so we have been um, back uh, since June, and we'll be heading out again in January. And so there are a number of ways that you can support us. <laughs> you jumped the gun a little bit, didn't you? <laughs> um, we are so thankful for the way that Southview has been supporting us um, as a church and as individuals. Uh, I wanted to share quickly uh, last year, we were part of the little video montage, and um, for whatever reason, I sort of jumped out to one of the women in this congregation, mm. and she sent an email to me, and that email turned into weekly Zoom connections, and now regular coffee dates while yeah. I've been in Canada, and that's just been such an encouragement to me and a blessing, and so I would say to any of you, if somebody jumped out on the screen to you, or you know somebody, and you've thought, oh, I really want to email them, oh, but they probably get a lot of emails, or hey, they've never met me, why would they want to hear from me? We love when you guys hit reply and send us messages, so please, please be encouraged to do that. Um, what else do I have here? Yeah, we do send out regular email updates. Uh, you can use the QR code up on the screen uh, to sign up, or you can come see us uh, in the Cardo, or if you're online, you can email the church office, and uh, they will pass along your contact information to us.
in terms of ways that you can partner with us, I think the greatest way that you can partner with us and any of the other international workers uh, is by praying for us. And so one of the first things is that you alluded to the fact that there are 250 or so international workers through the Alliance who are sent out from this country. And so they are supported by something called the Global Advance Fund, or the GAF, uh, as we call it. And so that is a fund that is pooled from across um, you know, any of the churches and individuals from across the country can give into that fund. And that is the fund uh, that pays for the day-to-day -day expenses and allows us and the 200 or so other international workers uh, to be sent out from here. Um, as new international workers, we are asked to bring in 20,000 per year in individual supporters kind of regularly giving towards that amount. So that again isn't the full amount that it costs to send somebody overseas, but they ask that we do that extra little push to bring in that 20,000 uh, per year uh, while we are out there. And so you can pray that God would raise up people to support us in that way. If you felt called to support us in that way, we'd love to connect and love to chat more about that um, as well. Um, you can think of us as we try to figure out the next step. So as I said, we're heading out in January, returning to the field. Rebecca was involved in the nursing school, and so she was involved in running the finances, teaching ESL, and helping to generally run a nursing school despite not being a nurse. Uh, she was able to help out in that way. So she's trying to discern what her best give is in this next season as we go back overseas. For myself, I'll go back to a lot of the same pediatric work, uh, we'll try to get that neonatal intensive care unit fully up and running once I return in January. And then we're really excited that we have two different organizations who are partnering with us in order to construct a new outpatient area for pediatrics as well as an inpatient area for pediatrics that really didn't exist. So you can pray that God wouldn't just bless those efforts physically, but that we would um, you know, be able to minister to the people that much better. Uh, as we go. You can also be thinking of our kids and praying for our kids. Um, they will be going back into full-time Arabic school. Ronnie at the age of five has already wow. done a year there, and Isaac at the age of three will be starting in full-time Arabic school, believe wow. it or not. Wow. Um, and you can also um, pray that we would have direction in terms of which relationships to really lean into, um, and you know those that are the, the fertile soil, the soil uh, that is ready uh, to receive the message. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. We would love to meet you out back. Thank you for having us. Uh, and we are so delighted to be sent out from this gathering. Uh, well, it's an honor to do so. And before I just give a closing encouragement to us, I want to pray for Ian and Rebecca. So can you do this? Will you reach out towards them as a sign of our blessing upon them? Let's pray. And our Father, how we thank you for Ian and Rebecca how you led them in their lives and the different pathways to go overseas with this message of hope. And so we pray your spirit would be upon them, within them, filling them, guiding them with wisdom and the preparations for returning and safety and travels, uh, Father. And we pray your blessing on, on their work in the medical field. You would guide and lead there, give them fruitfulness in this, Father. And we pray both through their work, their relationships, the way they walk in life, that they would be declaring you in word and action. Give them encouragement in this in all of the great challenges. And for Veronica and Isaac, bless them, Father. Lead and form them in you. Give them the hope of Christ and joy in the adventure they are part of in this. So we bless them and commission them for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.
We thank Ian, Rebecca. Thank you both, you guys. And, and just before we have time to fellowship together, I want to just respond to the question you might be asking, okay, how do you respond today? And if I can give you three options in this. For one, as Ian and Rebecca already mentioned, pray. Pray. Uh, again, you can stop by their paper table to get connected there. Encourage you also, if you have the Realm app, if you don't, sign up for that on our website. And if you have the Realm app, go into that app and you can pick out and select the missions group to get notifications. You'll then get the notifications and updates from all our international workers in that. So one, pray. Second is give. Uh, and there are several ways you can give, really above and beyond your normal giving, to support our global missions work and international workers, even specifically Ian and Rebecca in this. So again, the three ways online uh, is one. You can go to our website, top corner of our website, give, hit that, then click give online. It'll lead you to options for how you can give online. Second, you can give on site. You can give in our donation boxes at the back uh, of our worship center here or at the information center, you can give there as well by debit or credit card if you wish to that way. And then the third way you can give is by texting. Even right now, if you're prompted, just text the word Southview to 73256. That'll lead you to a drop-down list, and you can choose how you want to give and what you want to give there. So pray, give, and then thirdly, uh, would you go? And really, short-term or long-term? And one short-term option coming out, there's a table for it in the Cardo. Our Costa Rican missions trip is happening March 1 to 8. You can get information on that at the table out in the Cardo. Or even long-term, could God be prompting you to join with Ian and Rebecca and Matt and Connie, Matt and Marie and others to use your unique abilities, training, and expertise to go to another nation with the good news? And as Ian mentioned, Jaron Thomas, he is a global missions coordinator for our district here. Jaron is at a table right there. It's hard to miss as you go out. He can answer any questions, both about short and long-term options with the Alliance. I would encourage you to consider, friends, that possibility. Again, there are a number of information tables there. I encourage you to go buy. One even has Christmas ornaments from Matt and Connie in Asia. All the proceeds from that, if you need some ornaments to set up your tree, all of it goes to support the workers there they work with. So listen to the voice of God in this. And before we head out, will you bow with me in prayer? And before I pray, just for a moment, I want to prompt you with those questions we often consider. What is God saying to me? How is God stirring your heart right now? And then that second critical question, what am I going to do about it? Maybe a first step for you is going to one of the tables, getting more information, finding out. Oh, Father, we thank you that we as one local outpost of your kingdom have been freed, empowered by you to go out through an open door to live out and declare the good news of Jesus in our nation and beyond other nations. Would you cause us to be fruitful in that? And for those faithful ones serving overseas right now, as Ian and Rebecca will again shortly, 
We pray your blessing on them, your encouragement, your safety, your hope, and fruitfulness for the kingdom. This we pray together in the authority you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, friends? So glad you could be here today. Do encourage you to fellowship, hang out with one another, go to one of the tables, and come back next weekend as we move into the first weekend of Advent. Can you believe it's here already? But as you head out into whatever this week is going to hold for you, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more beyond all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that hope. Amen.